The Big Scary Show is brought to you in part by Dark Imaginings. Web design, creepy changing portraits, and much, much more. DarkImaginings.com From the deepest, darkest crews, to the backwoods swamp near the bottom, from the inside of your casket, to the fears lying deep inside your subconscious, it's time for the Big Scary Show. This is Joker from Malice Manor, Clarksville, Indiana. And you are listening to The Big Scary Show. Hey guys, this is Jordan Winton from Rigor Mortis Haunted Attractions. You are listening to The Big Scary Show. Hey everybody, this is Kevin Hopkins. This is Jeff Manning from Four Size Haunted Attraction in Cumming, Georgia. And you are listening to The Big Scary Show. Hello creeps, it's me, John Kassir, the voice of... The Crypt Keeper. <laughs> and you're listening to The Big Scary Show, the top podcast in the industry. <laughs> I'm Travis Regallo, I'm with the Ranch of War, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. This is Stephen Starkinger with the Realm of Fear in Mooresville, North Carolina, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. Hey, this is Bruce Stan from the Reign of Terror, and you're listening to the Big Scary Show. Hey, Sean Norman, Royal Township Haunted House in Brilliant, Ohio, and you're listening to the Big Scary Show. You're listening to the Big Scary Show with three big scary men and one that wears more makeup than I do. Happy Fourth of July, listeners. Meet Hook Jim here. Keeping it big and scary with you, along with the other three co-hosts, Badger, Storm, and the Haunstrumentalist, Jerry Vane. And on this episode, we're going to talk to haunt owners in our roundtable of terror, but this time, we're talking about the relative newbies. We're talking less than three years in the business, as opposed to on last episode, we had 20 plus year veterans. With Jordan Winton of Rigor Mortis Haunted Attractions... Jeff Maney and Kevin Hopkins from the House of Forsyths, and Joker and Amanda Durkin from Malice Manor. Make sure you sit down, get your beverage of choice, enjoy a couple of hot dogs or hamburgers off the grill, and listen to this lively roundtable. Of course, Badger is back with the latest in Deadline News. Storm rants as only he can in a haunt minute. Myself, I'm bringing you another Between the Corpses, this time about funeral rites in Germany. Weister is back with another Haunted Vista, and the Haunstrumentalist spins the spooky tunes. Happy 244th birthday to the good old US of A, and thank you for listening to The Big Scary Show. 
Want to take your haunt to a new dimension of terror? Then let dark imaginings conjure up some ghoulish graphics and web design services for your home, haunt, or crypt. Mm. To see more of our products and services, drop by darkimaginings.com. Let us help you get ahead of your competition. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is time for Deadline News here on The Big Scary Show with your host, me, Drew Badger, bringing you all the latest in the haunted house, Halloween, and horror industries. Hello everyone, this is Drew Badger. This is Deadline News for episode 214. And first of all, we'd like to welcome all our new listeners on Spotify and Google Podcasts and iHeartRadio and iTunes and Stitcher and all the new folks out there. We hope you're enjoying the show. Uh, this is not going to be a good one for me, folks. Uh, we have not one, not two, but three bits of sad news from our own. We'll start off with this, via John LaFlamboy of the Zombie Army in Chicago. It is with a very heavy heart that we mourn the passing of Jesse Chops McDonald, who is an actor at Statesville Haunted Prison, who passed away from complications from surgery at the all-too-young age of 38. We lost a bright light in this world today. He represented the best of us. Jesse brought his love and positive energy to everything he did and shared that love with us. Although, no, although he may not have been known by many as one of the greatest actors to have ever graced the Zombie Army shows, he will always be remembered for the man with a gigantic heart. That man who looked after everyone backstage, welcomed every new person with open arms, and would throw himself into any joke to brighten someone else's day. Jesse built us all up with his love, and he was there to support us while we took risks. He was our friend, our family, our clown, and he will always be carried in our hearts. The Big Scary Show sends its deepest condolences to the family and friends of Jesse McDonald, a.k.a. Chops the Clown. Secondly, we have this sad news from Terror Mansion in Brazil, Indiana, it is with great sadness that we report the loss of one of our own. Actor Levi Dotson passed away on June 26th after an auto accident at the age of 34. He had a huge heart and such immense amounts of creativity. Working in the haunt industry was one of his greatest joys. He worked for Shadow Asylum Haunted Attraction for over 10 years before joining our haunt family at Terror Mansion. He made such an impact in such a small time, and he will be greatly missed. Rest in peace. The Big Scary Show also sends its deepest condolences to the family and friends of Levi Dotson, including the Terror Mansion family, and of course the Statesville Haunted Prison family, and the Zombie Army in Chicago. And we offer up this extended moment of silence.
On to some other news. We have a little sad news here from the Queen Mary Dark Harbor in Long Beach, California. It is with heavy hearts that we can now confirm the 2020 season of the Queen Mary's Dark Harbor in Long Beach and Dark Horizon Point of No Return in Orlando, Florida have officially been canceled due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic and in line with federal, state, and local guidelines. As always, maintaining the safety and security of our guests, actors, and crew is of the utmost importance. With the uncertainty that lies ahead in the coming months, those unfortunate decisions could not be avoided. We look forward to the 2021 haunt season, and we'll share more about the future when we are able. In the meantime, please stay safe and be well. You can get more information at epicentertainmentgroup.com or Facebook pages, facebook.com slash Queen Mary's Dark Harbor or facebook.com slash Dark Horizon Orlando. We have this news from the Haunted in Hillsboro Haunt in Hillsboro, Oregon. After careful consideration and with a heavy heart, we have to announce that we will not be doing our walkthrough haunted house this year. The safety of our victims and minions is always a top priority, and with COVID, we do not feel we could proceed with our usual haunt. Depending on timing and all, we are hoping to still do an outdoor display and possibly the trick-or-treating, but we will keep you updated as things develop. Stay home and stay safe, everyone. Keep up with those updates at their Facebook page, facebook.com slash haunted in Hillsboro. On a little lighter note, we have this update from Days of the Dead coming to Indianapolis. It is with great pleasure that we announce the addition of actor and former pro wrestler Tyler Maine to the guest roster for Days of the Dead Indianapolis, happening July 17th through the 19th at the Marriott Center, Indianapolis. Tyler Maine is best known for playing the role of Michael Myers in Rob Zombie's Halloween and Halloween 2. He's also known for playing Sabretooth in X-Men, as well as having appeared in such films as Troy, The Devil's Rejects, and Compound Fracture. Tickets and more info and updates for Days of the Dead Indianapolis can be found at daysofthedead.com. We have this from the Legend of Pope Lick Haunted Woods in Louisville, Kentucky. This comes to us via Louisville Halloween. We are happy to announce that we have been approved for our Creature Feature free movie night on July 18th at Pope Lick Park. We plan to be screening The Goonies on a 40-foot wide screen. The concession stand will be open and we have installed plexiglass over the windows to improve safety. To maintain distancing, each group will have a designated circle on the lawn that has at least six feet of distance between all other groups. Bring your blankets and camping chairs and come out for a fun, safe night under the stars watching one of the best movies of our generation July 18th at Pope Lick Park. You can get more information at their Facebook page, facebook.com slash legend at Pope Lick. And I was going to mention this a little bit at the beginning of the show, but we have this news from us, The Big Scary Show. Not only can you find us back on iTunes and newly streaming on Google Podcasts, Google Home, Amazon Alexa, Spotify, and Stitcher, but we are now also available on iHeartRadio. 
We look forward to reaching an even bigger audience and continuing to provide you the latest news and information in the haunt, Halloween, and horror industries. Find us at iHeartRadio.com and search for The Big Scary Show. And folks, I want to bring you a little breaking news here. You know, I mentioned we had three bits of bad news to report. This is an update that we just got. On June 23rd, Robert Santos Jr. of Necrotic Creations, former sponsor of the show and good friend of the show, suffered a stroke. We had him on life support for a week, hoping for some positive signs. The truth was, the damage he sustained was too severe for him to have any quality of life, if he ever woke up at all. Robert would not want to live, trapped in a bed, hooked up to machines, so his parents and I, I being Stacy, came to the difficult decision to take him off life support. So at 3.40 p.m. on July 1st, the ventilator, IV, and feeding tubes were removed, he was given morphine, and at 8.10 p.m. on July 1st, Robert Santos passed away. He is survived by his partner in life and love, Stacy Fitz, the three children of his heart, Jamie, Riley, and Rhiannon, and his parents, Robert and Sandra Santos. Robert enjoyed life to the fullest, enjoying good jokes, good food, good company, and a lifelong love of Volkswagens, tacos, pineapples, and Halloween. This wonderful, amazing, beautiful man became father to my three children in love, if not blood, never hesitating to teach, encourage, and support them in every way he could. He was the first to offer to help and the last to ask for it. The outpouring of love and support would have shocked and gratified him. He died peacefully, surrounded by the family of his heart with laughter, love, and tears. I will miss him forever. He was my everything. Stacy. The Big Scary Show does send its deepest condolences. Robert was a personal friend of mine and Stacy. Our hearts go out to you too. And we offer up one more moment of silence. And again, folks, remember the news that we've mentioned here. Things could change at a moment's notice, so please double-check before attempting to attend any of the events. Thank you. Remember, folks, if you have news in the haunted house, Halloween, or horror industries, and you want it on the show, email it to us, news at bigscaryshow.com, and we'll get it on the show. No news is too big or too small. This concludes this edition of the Big Scary Show's Deadline News. <laughs>
grave of the bat demons. They are waiting for you. They are longing for your blood. They hope you'll drop in to join them in horror of the blood monsters. And you, a ghastly journey into the weird world of the undead. You'll feel your flesh crawl and tingle as creeping creatures slither out of the night to satisfy their unholy cravings. But I warn you, don't come to see horror of the blood monsters alone. Bring a friend. Bring a fiend. Bring your nerve. Horror of the blood monsters in weird color. Rated G. Enter the haunted world of Fright Find and discover an environment dedicated to promoting your haunt. Target customers who will influence others on attending haunt attractions as Fright Find brings in scream seekers looking for haunted places, events, and accommodations of every sort. Various exposure options give you the ability to reach your audience throughout the year. Don't be afraid. Go to FrightFind.com now to add your haunt for free and see for yourself the difference Fright Find will make in your haunt listing. Broadcasting to you from the darkest reaches of the earth, this is a Haunt Minute. And now, with this week's commentary, Storm. Alright, so one of the things we're starting to see, you know, it's it's 4th of July, not sure how that happened, you know, moving right along with the summer, and, um, you know, we're starting to see some of these hot zones with the COVID pop back up, we're seeing some states rolling back uh, some of the plans and what they're doing, you know, bars being rolled back, you know, the smaller uh, items, you know, just some of the public things we're hoping to get a little bit back to normal or, or rolled back in some areas, you know, because they don't want things to get worse. And you've seen little upticks here and there. And you can get control of it now, but it does scare the living hell out of us haunters because, you know, all right, you, you, they've talked about the second wave for uh, October and that type of thing. And w- will this happen? And will events get rolled back and any type of public offering and entertainment get rolled back like this? So, you know, a little w- w- wearisome and, and fearsome uh, time for that. And uh, you're starting to see, you know, some major announcements being made about events and especially haunts and stuff. And some of them are, you know, closing for good, which you see every year this time. You know, it's not completely unnormal. And I, I don't think I've seen more than normal uh, of the haunts, if you really take it um with a grain of salt. I mean, it, it's tough to measure anything alone with the way things are right now. It's a, it's a little different scenario for everything, so you'll put more attention on it. But, um, you know, you always have some haunts close every season. But you're also seeing some who are just closing for this uh, season of 2020. And said, you know, with the full intent to come back for 2021. And, you know, that's, that's 
not always a bad decision. It's, it's a long-term play and stuff. Sometimes, especially business-wise, especially how you're going about something, you got to look at something and say, well, all right, if I knee-jerk and do too much here, is it going to make sense and is it going to hurt me forever? If, if, if I try and, and chase opportunity with a 2020 season and, and don't have things prepared and, and something happens, would I lose out on any other season in the future? That's a tough decision and any haunt that's making it, you know, I applaud you one way or another. It's, it's a tough thing. But um, it's also something for us to keep in mind not to do the knee-jerk reaction. You know, some haunts are being extremely creative. We're starting to see ideas of this drive-up or, or drive-through type of haunt, which, you know, Intriguing in some sense. I've seen uh, an article in one in Japan where they'll pull up and have the experience unfold around them in like a garage. Not a bad idea. And the more they talked about it, the neither it is to the point where even they'd have like an extra car if you're walking didn't have a car, which might be the issue if they're in an urban setting in Japan. Uh, for that. So that's, that's pretty neat. And, you know, changing the price structure and everything by the car load. And then you'll even see an ad for the drive-through haunt as, as people would drive their own cars through a haunt attraction at a place to be determined with, you know, haunts and stuff happening around it. And and then, and of course, that one, you just gotta go, oh boy, uh, is, is that a knee-jerk reaction? Is that just trying to do something? Anything and, and something. Um, because, you know, honestly, we, we, we barely trust patrons to be able to walk through a haunt with their own power at times. Um, you know, to trust them with a vehicle around our actors and sets is something entirely different, especially when the purpose is to immense someone in disbelief and fear. You know, you just might have a recipe for a disaster, and that can affect us all. You know, we've seen any type of safety issue or, or some plan go wrong, and not in the um, Halloween sense of something gone wrong. It's when something actually goes wrong, it affects the entire industry and has repercussions. So, you know, it, it, it's tough. It's, it's one of those things that, you know, a big challenge is not going to be to knee-jerk reaction for stuff this year, which, well, okay, you know, we're haunters. We can do that, too. But it's time to plan now and push with things and, and, and you know, make sure people get their traditions and stuff. You know, if it, if, if you're an actor, you're not sure your haunts want to go off or anything, start planning to do, you know, Zoom makeup or something. You know, a master class with that. Start getting your skills out there. Because at the very least, we start doing creative things now and trying to do it. It might help us flesh out ideas and not be knee-jerk reacting as the whole situation is very fluid and keeps changing as we get closer to October. You know, a plan now might have to evolve one way or another. You might be planning for the toughest case scenario and how to have people and stuff, and things might work out where you can have larger capacity, larger crowds, and not worry as much about some of the regulations that will be out there. So, it's fluid. You're creative. Just don't need your plan now and, and piece things together to the best we can because it's going to help the industry as a whole and, you know, help us plan for years to come, not just the short, immediate effect. So until next time, keep every minute scary. Tune in next episode for another Haunt Minute. And in the meantime, share your opinions 
on the Big Scary Show Facebook page and on Twitter at Big Scary Store. Hi, this is Josh Gates from Travel Channel's Expedition Unknown, reminding you to send all hate mail to storm at bigscaryshow.com. Ready to dress up your show? Need to pump new life into old props? Just want to show something no one else has? Do what Alice Cooper, Distortions Unlimited, and A-list haunters all over the world do. Wear Von Karam. Durable, handcrafted, dependable, year after year. Von Karam. When you scare enough to wear the very best. VonKaron.com. V-O-N. C-H-A-R-O-N dot com. And ladies and gentlemen, let's see if you are listening to the show carefully, because it's time for the gruesome giveaway for the month of July. Now to all our new listeners who are listening to us on streaming services, every month ScreamlineStudios.com gives us amazing prizes to give away, and that's what we try to do each and every month. I'm about to ask you a question. The answer is in the show. Listen carefully, and if you think you know the answer, send us the answer, your name and number, in an email to contest at bigscaryshow.com before midnight on July 13th. That's an easy number to remember, July 13th. So, without any ado, the July gruesome giveaway question is... One of the three haunts in the round table, Four Scythes Haunted House in Cumming, Georgia, got its name in part with a little bit of clever wordplay. What is that clever wordplay? If you think you know that answer, send it to us. Send us an email with your name, your number, and of course the answer to contest at bigscaryshow.com before midnight on July 13th, and we will pick a random entrant and you could win a fantastic prize from our good friends at ScreamlineStudios.com. Be sure to go visit them and check out all their great stuff. Remember, previous winners and family members of The Big Scary Show are not eligible to enter. Good luck. Ladies and gentlemen, that music you're hearing does signify once again for the 214th time you are listening to the Round Table of Terror here on The Big Scary Show. And if you listened to the show last episode, we hope you did. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed it. And for all you new listeners, we hope you're enjoying hearing us on all the streaming platforms, the Pandora, Spotify, iHeartRadio, maybe not Pandora yet. We're still working on that. Uh, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, um, iTunes. I hope I didn't miss any. I'm sure Jim will correct me if I did. But for all you new listeners and everything, welcome. Um, If you were listening to the last episode, you remember we were talking about veteran haunters, those who had been in the business 25 plus years and had a lot of good information for them. They gave us a lot of wisdom and a lot of insights. And as of the time of this recording, they're still all planning on opening this year. 
But it got us thinking, well, we've talked to the wily old veterans. Let's talk to the new guys, those folks who have been in business less than three years. And frankly, I think we have some guests who this is only their second year in business. So it should be a very interesting season for all them, especially considering how their seasons went last year. So we want to welcome our new haunt owners to the show. We'll start with uh, Jordan Winton, who is with Rigor Mortis Haunted House or Haunted Trail Haunted <coughs> in McMinnville. Haunted Attractions. Haunted Attraction Networks, all right, in McMinnville, Tennessee. Jordan, glad to have you here. Thank you. Thank you very much. Absolutely glad to hear your voice. Uh, we also have Sean and Amanda Durkin from Malice Manor in Clarksville, Indiana. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. Uh, just for record, I, I I usually have to go by Joker. Okay. We'll call you uh, Joker. It's something that stuck. My dad gave me the nickname and like it's 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 a good way to depict my personal life from my professional life. Nice. So Amanda and Joker. Welcome. <laughs> yes. And and last but certainly not least, we have Jeff Maney. And Kevin Hopkins from Four Sides Haunted Attraction down in Cumming, Georgia, just outside of Atlanta. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks, Drew. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to ask you about the name in a little bit. But I want to introduce our regular host joining us again for the 214th time. First up in Warwick, Rhode Island, we have Storm. See, while our guests may have, you know... Uh, stage names for professional reasons. The four of us all have stage names because of witness protection. <laughs> Down in Cincinnati, the aptly named in the witness protection program, Meat Hook Jim. And you are absolutely correct, Badger. I am going to correct you and add something to our streaming platforms. If you have a smart speaker, whether it be Google or Amazon, all you have to all you have to do is say. Play Big Scary Show podcast, and guess what? You'll hear us. Sweet. So we do. So we're on Alexa then. <coughs> we are. Nice. Excellent. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Up in Columbus, Ohio, we have our very own instrumentalist, Jerry Vane. My name is Peter Brady. I'm hiding from my IRS. Thank you very much. My name is Drew Badger, dodging all the storms down here in Charlotte, North Carolina. It has been a wild, crazy, dusty weekend. But uh, ladies, gentlemen, and Joker, welcome to the show. Um, I will throw out the first question. What made you guys decide to open a haunted house? Did you guys just wake up one day and say, I'm going to be a haunt owner? Um, as I mentioned off the air, I'm a consultant. I get calls every year from people wanting to open a haunted house. What's the process? Um, when did you guys decide you guys wanted to open a haunted attraction. Let's start with uh, Jeff and Kevin. And I want to ask how you got the name Four Scythes. So it, it's spelled four and S-C-Y-T-H-E-S. I assume there's some Grim Reaper reference or something like that. But how did you guys decide to uh, open a haunted attraction? Oh, well, you know, I think it like it, most of us in the industry, we, it goes back to some childhood uh, experience that we had that made us want to follow this um we came up through home haunting and um 
managing and, and working with other haunts. And uh, I met Kevin along the way at one of those stops and, and we were kind of like two halves of the same brain. And uh, we decided then and there that, Hey, if we get the opportunity one day, we need to, to collaborate and, and uh, come together on a, on a project one day. So it took several years. We, we uh, had been searching for a property and um, we, we finally, we finally got an opportunity to, to make that happen uh, last year. So um, we are, like you said, in Cumming, Georgia, which is part of uh, Forsyth County, F-O-R-S-Y-T-H. And so uh, 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 there we go. <laughs> yes. Yes. So uh, it's kind of a little play on words and, you know, the, the traditional scythe and reaper iconography that, you know, is is traditional in horror. It, it just it just fit. I thought it was uh, something I'd never seen done before, and it plays into the community. Well. It's it's definitely a unique name, and it, and it certainly works. I assume the Grim Reaper does play a large part in your haunt. Yes, yes, we have uh, um, our, our new website this year. Uh, the icon character on our website is a Reaper, so. Uh, you, you can't not, you know, have a, have a reaper if you're, if you're <laughs> Certainly. Uh, Jordan, how about you? Uh, what made you decide to uh, start a haunt in McMinnville, Tennessee? Well, that's kind of a very long answer, but to kind of shorten everything up, um, it all started when around nine, like most haunters in the industry, uh, we started with something of childhood. And for me, I started doing home haunts at my grandmother's house because um, it was just more in a town's area and it attracted more people. And my family's always been in the entertainment industry as far as providing venues. Um, so my parents, we sell retail fireworks, we do firework shows, and they've always done Christmas lights. So these are actual businesses that I was grew up in. And so about when I was 14, I was still doing the haunted houses at home, of course. I started doing Christmas lights full time as my actual job per se. And uh, all through high school, I did that at age 16. That's when I went on the great Christmas light fight on ABC. And that kind of changed everything. Um, after competing with that, um, that's when I started to get actual clients for Christmas lights. Well, my love for Christmas is always still there, but it kind of changed in the fact that I've always, I kind of dropped the haunted house thing for a little bit and I had to go back to it. So um, when I graduated high school, which was when I was 18, I'm turning 20 in October. Um, that's when I knew I wanted to pursue this as a full-time thing. So our haunted attraction is a 50,000 square foot indoor attraction. Um, and that's kind of what led to it was just the pure love for entertainment. And uh, it was just another source of creativity for me. Oh, fantastic. Is uh, McMinnville, a, is it in the mountains? Is it East Tennessee? Is it central? Is it western? Where is that? I'm not familiar with it. So McMinnville is actually not where I personally live, but um, that's where the haunted house is. Uh, we chose that area because of the demographic, um, as well as the fact it's very a central location for a lot of bigger cities. So you can drive an hour in most directions and get to most bigger cities. Um, we're actually in middle Tennessee. Uh, McMinnville is close to uh, Nashville, Chattanooga, and uh, Cookville, bigger cities like that. So we, we attract most of our demographic from bigger cities around us. Okay, very nice. Uh, 
Amanda and Joker, what about you guys? What made you get into the haunt business? Uh, well, for myself, I've been in the industry for over 20 plus years. I started, I started young. I'm probably the oldest person on this show, probably. <laughs> uh, and then I, ever since I got into the business as an actor, I always, I wanted my own. It was just there. And then uh, we met each other. Amanda was actually one of my actors while I was a manager at the uh, now gone industrial Terraplex in Jeffersonville, Indiana. And uh, we were like-minded enough that she heard my dream and we got together, became a couple and uh, got, met, married, got and married, met our partner who owns Haunted Hotel over in Louisville, Kentucky, Kevin Stitch. And uh, made the impossible possible. We found the perfect building, and it was time. It just fit into where we are at the moment in our life that everything just started falling into place for location, building, finances, everything. Just, it was time. Very nice. Haunted Hotel in Louisville. That's a fantastic haunt. Yes. yes. <laughs> and you're in southern Indiana? Southern Indiana, yeah. We're, we're just outside of Louisville, Kentucky. So uh, as far as like region-wise, everybody looks to the Louisville area for haunts. And so we're kind of just bundled in that nice little group of haunters there. Yeah, there's a six, I'm, I'm probably going to miscount here, six to eight haunts that are within a 15 to 20 minute drive around us. Mm -hmm. uh, we're a good middle point between uh fear fair and seymour and all of them that are in louisville that we help bridge that gap on the bridge side um kind of the way industrial did of pulling customers from louisville to the indiana side and then also pulling them just enough from, from the north, north and then still being able to kind of shoot across the bridge to the Louisville area okay so you know travis and all those guys then we are Absolutely. super good friends with all of them. Um, I can honestly say it doesn't happen for most people in the haunt business or in a lot of areas, but like we do lunch and hang out with probably all of the all owners, owners that are in this area. Like we are really good friends with so many of them. Well, we'd like to wish Travis a speedy recovery from gallbladder surgery. I understand he went through that this past week. So, yes, day yeah, after, his, day after birthday. his birthday. Yeah, I know. That's terrible. But, uh, <laughs> good plan. Interesting. <laughs> well, yeah. I, we, he'll be listening. So, get well, Travis. We, we, we wish you well. Love you, Travis. So, <laughs> so you know, the, the folks we talked to last week, you know, I'm sure times have changed as far as the difficulties in getting permits. And I'm sure permits in Tennessee are not the same as they are in Georgia or not the same as they are in Indiana. Um, when you guys made the decision to open a haunted attraction and, and join the madness that hundreds of others have around the, the country, how difficult was it? What was the, the single biggest issue you guys had when it came to opening up a haunt? <laughs> there, there is not even just a single large issue they were all large issues um 
I would say the city didn't want us there. Yeah, it's that fear of the unknown. Clarksville hadn't had a haunt since Psychomania was around, which was, mm -hmm. it, it's been a good minute. And um, I, I don't think that they were expecting the, the caliber of, of amusement that we were bringing into the, the town. Or to be as professional. Right. Um, and, and it's... It, with with the fear of the unknown from the town and then once we we established where the building was and to get the permits and the, the hoops to jump through with not just the town but the, the state of indiana we have to do with indiana homeland security <laughs> so uh fire code stuff was a, a whole lot of fun because our building did not come with a sprinkler system so uh, there was a lot of things we had to adjust for just to make the city happy. Um, the state was perfectly fine with everything that we were doing. Um, it really fell on local government. Um, so, yeah, make friends with all your local people, for sure. Building permit-wise, we paid a whole lot of money for building permits. Yeah. <laughs> From just the building permit all the way to electrical permits, um, parking agreements with our neighbors uh, because of how our building sets adjacent to the parking lot. Uh, our, our property only has like 10 park, you know, parking spots and the city expects us to have 110 parking spots. So with our parking <laughs> agreement, we have 150. So it, like parking's not an issue, but like every time we address one issue with the city, they would come back with another new issue every week. That uh, last year we got pushed to only being able to open four weekends. Uh, we got to open for the month of October. We planned for the middle of September to open, and every week there was something new that the city was going to require us to do. And, I mean, we went above and beyond on everything they asked for us to show, hey, we're willing to play ball, just let us know for real what's up. And it was a struggle. It was fun. Uh, Jordan, how about you? How difficult was it to get for you to get started in Tennessee? So I have to agree with everything that they were saying. We did have obstacles. Um, that was a big part of it was the city that we're in. Um, at Minville, they really didn't have the understanding of what kind of show we was bringing to the area. Um, most people think of haunted houses, and they've only referenced back to, you know, um, not what we're offering, not a professional attraction. So that was an obstacle, but I, do, I will say this as a small caveat. Um, when we first started, the very first email we got was, it is illegal and not permitted. And that email, I will frame on the wall to this day because um, it was just a big misunderstanding of what people had as a conception of haunted houses. Um, so we were very um, compliant with everything and we made sure to follow everything by the books. And I think that's what led to the success of getting things taken care of. Um, one of the things about our attraction is, is we did have to install a sprinkler system, system as well as a fire alarm system. Um, so that was a big upfront thing that took up a lot of time on our build, you know, our build season. Um, but besides that, um, the legal part, it slowly faded away only because of 
coming from an entertainment background, having uh, live performance venues in the area, that, that kind of helped uh, with the knowledge in order to get to opening. So it's, it's definitely an obstacle, but it, we didn't let it deter us, to say the least. And uh, Jeff and Kevin, how about you guys? How, how difficult was it? Atlanta's got a slew of haunts in their area. I assume that they probably know what you're talking about when you say you want to bring a haunted house to the area. Yeah, well, and I guess our experience is a little little different from uh, from everyone else on the call. We are um, we are fortunate because our mayor was looking to have an event at our at our city's fairgrounds. Our uh, we are actually sponsored by the city. Um, our event is actually a city sponsored event, so um, so we've had a, a pretty easy time getting permits and everything like that. And everyone's working, uh, with us, uh, fire marshal, uh, we, you know, we proposed a plan to the fire marshal and he was the, he was the only one that was really kind of hesitant at first, but we, uh, we, you know, we, we gave him a layout floor plan, gave him, uh, you know, I, I just, just like they said, I don't, I, I don't think people expected the level of, of, uh, detail, coming in uh when they hear haunted houses they have this preconceived notion of just you know some some plastic thrown up and and high school kids in in masks jumping out and yelling boo so we when we presented our plan and and uh with layout with uh extinguishers and and everything like that they were uh pretty uh uh pretty easy to work with once they realized that we were we weren't trying to do the bare minimum that we were looking out for the safety of uh of our patrons and uh so now we've got a really good relationship with the uh the fire marshal um but you know one that we don't definitely don't take uh take for granted we uh we go above and beyond what what's required so um for us you know to our our building is is provided uh in the <coughs> fairground by the city so parking and and all of that's uh, one of those that we, we we pinch ourselves daily with uh, with the fortune we have with, with that not having to deal with finding parking and and, and uh, things along those lines so yeah I mean so at one time it may still be but at one time Forsyth County here was the fastest growing uh, population in the nation, right? Yeah, for fastest growing county. Yeah, yes. fastest growing county. So, um, they, the development around here makes purchasing a property to to do a haunt in it's just cost prohibitive. Um, there there are no empty warehouses. There are no fields. There are no stands of woods. You know, it all gets turned into subdivisions and shopping malls. <laughs> so, I mean. Last year, uh, you know, Kevin and I have we have toiled through that, um, looking for property and, and finding out that we can't afford it and and all of this stuff for several years. And last year, we saw um, an ad in, in the local newspaper that said, "Hey, there's going to be a haunted event uh, at the fairgrounds this year." And uh, it's it's kind of funny because Kevin and I actually went to the city years ago and said hey can we do something at the fairgrounds <laughs> and they said no you cannot so um it, but that was a different uh different regime we've had a, a 
you know, a, a new mayor come in and, and wants to revitalize the some of the social aspects of the city and, and wants to um, to have more events like haunted houses, like public concerts and, and different things on the city's fairgrounds. And it was just like I, I called Kevin. I was like, they're doing a, a haunted house in our backyard. And he said, what? And we <laughs> we just wanted to call up and find out who was involved in, and what could we do to help? We just needed to get our foot in the door. And um, and by the end of it, uh, we were we were kind of handed the reins. And so, we, we like he said, we, we pinch ourselves daily that this is something that the city wanted, reached out for. And we just kind of were there to receive it. And and, you know, it. it just to put in perspective, too, our, it's it's kind of interesting because most people think of, you know, most fairgrounds are out on the outskirts of town. You know, you, you get out of the out of out of town, past the suburbs, and then there's the fairgrounds out here. It's kind of unique because our fairgrounds are dead in the center of the city where it's a block and a half off of the off of the square where our our courthouse and, and everything is. So. We're right. It's right in the heart of of, uh, of everything. Um, our little our little town had, uh, you know, like I said, we said it has been growing like crazy. Last year, the the attendance at the fair was two hundred and twenty two thousand people. So, um, you know, this year after after our success last year, they asked us to come back and operate all eleven nights of the fair plus the uh, the last two weekends of October. So. Um, we were looking at, at having a, a pretty pretty big sophomore year this year, but I think we all know what's <laughs> yeah. some of the obstacles that, that have popped up since then. It is an interesting time indeed. I do want to remind everybody you are listening to the Roundtable of Terror here on the Big Scary Show. We're going to take a real short break, pay these bills, and we'll be right Back. In 1897, Dr. Alexander Hammond arrived at an institution for the criminally insane, only to discover the unsolved murders of several guards. Drivers, where are we? Jerry Bain takes you into Black Moon Asylum, a twisted abyss of torment, madness, and the horrifying mystery of patient 292. Time for your medication. Black Moon Asylum, a symphonic journey into darkness from Hunstrumentalist Jerry Vane. Download Black Moon Asylum at jerryvane.com, iTunes, cdbaby.com, Amazon MP3, and your favorite download site. Anyway, we're back to the Roundtable of Terror here with our special guest, Jordan Winton of Rigor Mortis Haunted House, Amanda and Joker from Malice Manor, Jeff and Kevin from Forsyth's Haunted Attraction, our usual co-host. These are all people going into their, technically their second year of their haunted attractions. Brand new haunt owners out there. We've heard about how hard it was to uh, work with the local governments getting permits or not, depending on who you are. Uh, what was the uh, local community's initial reaction when you guys came in? You know, especially to you guys in the Bible Belt. Tennessee, Georgia, you know, was there a lot of opposition from that on, you know, from civic groups, church groups, you guys all said, you know, some of you got notices saying, we're not sure what a haunted house is, or you're illegal or things like that. What was the initial reaction from, 
from the community when they heard that a professional haunted house was coming to their area? Well, um, I'll go ahead and speak. Uh, for us, it was kind of another funny story. Um, being in Tennessee, um, our area, uh, the demographic, it was very uh, weird because people, like I said, didn't understand it. So we had to, uh, the first thing we got noticed was uh, people thought they get this perception that haunted houses are very um, satanic or they're very not family friendly. And that's some haunted houses, that's their, um, that's their forte and that's fine. Everybody has their own place in the industry. Uh, for us, that wasn't what we we're trying to do. Uh, we wanted to provide a, a safe, um, family friendly atmosphere that was yet scary, but not offensive. Um, that was a key thing for us. So we had to make that very aware. Um, we, when we first, when people started to see the signs going up on the building and they started to see billboards going up in early July of last year, they started to, you know, kind of question things. And that's when we had to really go and be vocal to our community and put it out there that what we was trying to achieve. And uh, we haven't had any problems since, um, but we do offer something for everyone. And that most people didn't realize it when we started. They thought it was a very um, niche, um, a very niche group we was trying to target. So we, we really did try to, you know, put that out there that we were very um, non-offensive in the way of, everybody's welcome to come about the rest of you guys well yeah the 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 community um seemed to receive us really well i mean um the the hardest thing about getting the word out is when you're a, a new event nobody expects you to be there um and like you said earlier you know we're in the atlanta market so so we're forever in, in the shadow of, of the netherworld and uh it's um, that that's a that's a huge blessing for us as haunt people, but it, it, it but it can be you're always compared to Netherworld, you know. So, um, but it that that being said, and there and there's a lot of of great haunts in the Atlanta area, and that that goes a long way with uh, when you talk about hey, I want to open up a haunted house. You're not completely uh, coming from the blind side because there's a lot of that in our area now. Uh, we did send out our, uh, you know, casting call notices and 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 all of that, and and we've got uh, we got some tire kickers that came and 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 never came back, but we did develop a good local group um, of of volunteers that that they just decide, you know, I mean, once you once you try it, you love it, you know, that that's what we all know, and that's and convincing the public that had has never participating in anything like that. Uh, but man it's 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 been a success i mean last year we did uh only four nights we were open four nights we didn't start planning the event until late june uh, is when we came on board and then uh, we were open the four nights and and i'm sure across the at least across the southeast i don't know about the rest of the country but it last october was a swampy mess it rained three out of the four nights that we were open and you know we we still did really well i mean um i, I was pleased with the turnout and, and so i think i think part of uh our the the warm reception from our community too had a lot to do with um you know our hunt uh benefits american cancer society and we worked uh worked hand in hand with uh, the relay for life groups 
to uh, to put on a successful event. So um, I think that that kind of lessened the shock when, when we came into the community with a with a full on hunt in in our in our town that uh, that they saw that it the that it's benefiting a, a, a local charity that that keeps money in 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 the area. That definitely helped. Oh, no doubt. How about you guys up in Indiana? How, how did the community, I mean, everybody talks Louisville, Louisville, Louisville. Uh, how'd you get them across the bridge? Absolutely. Um, we are surrounded by some staple names, um, haunts that have been here for years. Uh, so I think there were several of the avid haunters in our area that was, yay, there's a new place to go. Uh, Travis as well for opening or moving uh, 7th Street and reopening as a different name. So it was two new haunts in our area that was a, ooh, it's a new shiny, something new to go to. Uh, a lot of the community, it's kind of hit and miss of either, yay, there's something new here in town or didn't know something came in. Yeah, it was totally a 50-50 on that shot. I mean, I, I don't think that it was... I, the community as a whole took really well to us being there once they realized what we were. Um, and then, you, like she said, you know, haunt-goer-wise, there's so many haunts in our area, so for us to draw them in, it, I mean, just as hard as everybody else. Social media was our big platform as far as advertising and, and word of mouth. In, in general, for being friends with most of the other owners, um, most of the groups get done, and they're like, that was awesome. Where else, Where can, else we go? can we go? And we've sent people to other haunts that are local, depending on what they're looking for, because like um, like Jordan had said, I think it was Jordan, uh, every haunt brings something of its own to this business. Not every one of them are identical they each have their own feel to it. So whatever, have whatever kind of show they're wanting is where we're like, Hey, check this place out or check this place out. And I know that all of them have done the same for us and sending people over our way. So, yeah, as far as like the response, it was great because all of us here locally have really started to work together as far as like, you know, promotions, especially in marketing. Mm -hmm. So it's, it was kind of love really. Nice. You know, I've got to say that uh, I'm going to chime in here for a second. Um, hearing you guys talk about working with other haunts and all the promotion and cross promotion, that's what this business needs, and it needs more of it. There's not enough of this going on in the haunt business. And you guys, being new and working with these established haunts, it, it's heartwarming, and I'm very happy to hear things like that are happening for you guys. For me, it was super important. I remember a time when haunt owners especially just didn't collaborate that way. Uh, it was all, you know, just super cutthroat, man. And, and you know, all the way down to ideas. Like, you couldn't share ideas with one another because you'd be afraid somebody was going to steal your shit. <laughs> and then turn around to now, it's like in, in small conversation with other, you know, one or two of the other owners, it's like, wait, are you doing this scene? And we're like, are you doing this scene? And we start laughing about it because we're doing similar things, but it, 
we know when the scene is done, it won't be the same, so, but that we all have the same ideas. And it, I, I just, I, I do too. I think it's great that we have that relationship here in, in our area, especially because of the amount of different haunts. Uh, but it, it's fantastic. I mean, all the way down to like Haunters Against Hate getting started a few years back. Mm-hmm. It was just the industry as a whole has changed so dramatically when it comes to the relationship amongst haunt owners and and haunt scares as well getting along with each other the way they do now it's just i think it's amazing i think it's great it's a great time to be an owner when it comes to stuff like that for real i've got to agree with you uh you know i've been in this business for a long time and i've seen a lot of the uh, a lot of the friction and and oh we you know we're gonna hide this and you can't do this and just the the you know and haunters from different attractions you know bashing each other and that's exactly what this business doesn't need and i'm very happy to hear more and more that haunters are working together regardless for the better of the industry i agree it's much the same for us here too um uh, we've participated in in and haunt haunt ownership management uh, roundtables uh of local north georgia and Carolina haunts. Uh, we um, we always reach out to each other, and, and I've got good relationships with with everybody that I've worked with previously. I mean, there's no, I have never experienced anything negative from. It's it's just always been true haunt professionals that I've. That's that's my perception of the industry. That's why they call them professionals. I guess it's it's funny that you know I, I can think of some quote-unquote feuds that still exist to this day but they tend to be the older folks who've been in business for 20 plus years that you know maybe they're just you know so deeply embedded with that that they just can't get along with some other people and the fact that you guys are all in areas that have you know other haunted attractions nearby and you're not the only game in town you know that that's just wonderful and and we hope that that quote unquote upcoming next generation of of haunters continues that practice so it's uh it's a good thing so I'd like uh, to other- it as well like we do off season events as well um at ours and there are several haunts around us that aren't able to do events outside of their set season and we accumulate their actors. Um, everybody's free to go. Yeah. Whoever is open, uh, for a Christmas event, a Valentine's event, whatever event is going on, if they're open, we're not go have fun and vice versa. There are several other actors that come to our haunt and work for a night or two nights for different events. Wonderful. Love to hear that. I have to, I have to add to that. Um, I agree completely. Um, and I want to shout out somebody. Uh, he opened a haunted house, you know, about an hour away from us. Uh, Doug, Doug uh, opened Six Fears Hell's Bar and Dam, and it's a really amazing location due to the paranormal activity. It's one of the hauntedest places in Tennessee, and uh, he unfortunately couldn't be on tonight. Um, I did message and ask him, but um, he. Uh, it's great to build relationships in in any, any industry you want to be able to have somebody that you can, you know, communicate, not just on a business level, but on a personal level. And I think that I agree that we need more people in this industry that are 
for the better of creating an overall um, environment of just, you know, not being intimidating newcomers, because those are the people that are being innovative and bringing something different to the market. So that's my take on it. Nice. Uh, any questions from the hosts? All right. If not, I'll throw this one out. You guys all opened for the first time last year. This is going into your second year. And of course, we have a global pandemic going on. But at the time of this recording, all of you are at least planning to open. Uh, how different has it been, pandemic aside, you did all the preparations, all the permitting, all the meetings and fire marshal dealings with and everything for your first year. Has it been significantly easier for your second year because you already know everybody and all that? How how much difference has it been for your second year versus your first? That could be for anyone. We, we really haven't started pushing for permits yet. Um, we've started our, you know, obviously neck deep in build time right now. So uh, <laughs> they know we're in the building. We, we haven't really raised any attention as far as like pulling in. The only permit we have to pull this year would be our amusement permit and uh, just final inspection. Final inspection, and that usually happens like the week before we open. But uh, we have been with with the whole COVID thing. We've been paying attention to stipulations uh, that the city and and the state's going to be laying down, especially when it comes to haunted attractions. Uh, we're lucky because where we are regionally with other haunts, uh, Brett Hayes with fear fair right up the road uh he's been kind of letting everybody know you know what he's been hearing and and knowing what's going on so the 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 plan of attack right now is for indiana when it comes to amusements come july 4th everything goes to 100 percent. so we could open our doors and, and rock and roll if we wanted to um we're all about safety and and, and just the well-being of our customers so we know there's going to be stipulations as far as, you know, the cleanliness and, and going right. back and, you know, sanitizing things and stuff like that. So we're just kind of anticipating and waiting to see what they throw down, really. And we're semi-lucky in the aspect of our queue line area is huge. Um, so we're indoors. We can space people out. Uh, but it... It seems like every other week the guidelines change. Um, so it's kind of hard to, all right, let's follow all of these guidelines, make changes for this, and then two weeks later we have, seems like a whole new set of things. So probably mid-July to the 1st of August, I think, is when we're going to focus more on what those guidelines Where the are game going to is be. at that point. Yeah, we're, uh, you know, we're actually not in our building until uh, until August. We're in a, a in a warehouse that's about a third the size of our actual haunt building, but uh, we won't have access to our, our actual haunt uh, building until August. So um, as far as, you know, we, all that, we can't get any, any inspections or anything like that done uh, until closer to, to time. But, uh, you know, we're just kind of, keeping our ear to the ground and uh and keeping up with the 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 day-to-day -day changes of of uh of regulations and what's going to need to be done uh, you know we're here in georgia and georgia was one of the, the the first ones to say 
to, to start uh, start opening up uh, phase one and now we're in phase two uh, opening so um, so we're kind of playing it by ear seeing seeing where it goes from there our our city has pretty much said that uh, barring a, a, a large secondary outbreak they're planning on still having the uh, uh, our our county fair this year which which we're, we're part of um, we're scrambling right now getting our our Fourth of July parade float finished up because we uh, we have a uh, we have a Fourth of July parade that's that is going to take place. Um, I guess it's going to be on the, uh, the the day that this uh, this episode uh, drops. So yeah, we we had you know when we closed the season last year, we said hey, we've got a, we've got a year now. We're we're not we're not operating from from June to September now. Now we're uh, we've got a whole nother year, so we put a lot of plans in place and made a lot of, of changes uh, to really come out strong in our, in our second year, and um, we just continued with it, you know. And, and I guess the mentality un- until we got word was, hey, we're we'll just we're just that far ahead again when they do allow us to open. So um, we we just kept kept planning and and building, and um, the city. Uh, we we knew we wanted to be a part of the Fourth of July parade uh, this year. You know that's that's kind of really. Uh, we were talking earlier about exposure in the community and, and what the what the reception is, and I think we're really going to see wh- what it is because we've built a little miniature haunted house to go on a trailer and cemetery and, and you know, and and we'll see what what people who didn't know that we were here have have to say about it, but. I'm expecting a warm reception. Uh, the city says that the parade is on. Uh, that's kind of kind of surprised me, but but now we're open for that. They're saying plan for uh, October as normal. So that's that's the word at the moment. We had already taken steps also before, you know, with uh, for time ticketing. So so we were already a, a, a little bit of a had a little bit of a step ahead um, with time ticketing since our. Our event takes since our event takes place during uh, the fair. We don't want people standing in a in our queue line for for an hour waiting to get into the haunted house when they could be, you know, out out in the mid in the midway. So um, so we had already already uh, established we were doing time ticketing. So that just you know parlays right back into uh, to, to help and alleviate large groups congregating yeah. outside of our in a, in a large queue line so um you can handle the distancing um and and uh and and whatever like 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 everyone we're watching what what the uh what the word of the day is as far as uh requirements for masks and and such as that so jordan anything from you Yes. So I have to agree with everything everyone else is saying. Um, It's one of those things um, that's a day by day thing. We're learning something different every day, um, as they call it, the new norm. So this is a big learning curve for us. Um, Just like starting a new attraction, there's learning curves. And uh, this whole uh, COVID thing is a learning curve. Um, But we're trying to be very proactive and uh, try to come up with plans in order to plan for the best and not the worst. So as of now, Tennessee is pretty much fully open at this point. Um, 
but that's not to say that we're not still going to keep the safety paramount because that is our main goal to keep a very safe environment. Uh, we're lucky in the sense that we do have a very, very large uh, covered queue line. Sorry, somebody beeped in. Um, we have a very large queue line, so we can uh, social distance through that. Um, and we're also lucky in the sense that um, the area we're in, people are, I think, going to be very um, excited to get back out. They've been in their house all this time, and uh, we're hoping that people that feel comfortable coming, uh, that they they see the safety measures that we have uh, planned if we still need them at that time period. Um, so that's pretty much our take on it. But, it, you know, it changes every day, and I don't think there's a definite answer right this moment. Okay. Sounds great. Any uh, questions from the hosts? I think Storm's having issues with his mic, but... Uh... That's okay. Um, I'll throw out a question here. I'm looking at the clock. We probably should start winding this down. We're closing in can on... You? Oh, there you are. Can you hear yeah. me now? Stop. All right. No. Okay. Good. You can hear me now. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, All right. I, I think I got it now. Uh, you know, um, before when we talked to some of the uh, people who've been running attractions for like 20 years and plus, we are talking about burnout. Would you guys, with you know, your, your young careers, your opening seasons, did you have one of those oh shit moments where, you know, something happened during that night, you got that one customer, and you just went, do I really want to do this? And then, you know, how did you overcome that? Uh, Jordan, if you, you want to go with that one first? Sure. Um, well, you know, I think uh, sustainability is the word that I would um, quote to that because, for me, you, you never want to get burnt out on something when you first start it. So you have to give yourself time and understand that there's going to be new things that are going to arise. And uh, there was definitely a few, um, I would say, things that come up that, you know, we had to face and it was a learning curve. Uh, you know, you always you try to please everyone and that's hard to do. Everybody has a different perception. So um, we try to offer, you know, something for everyone. And uh Sometimes you can't please everyone, and that, that was something hard to face, and uh, I'm a big people pleaser, so that was my biggest obstacle. Um, the second biggest was is allow yourself enough time to, um, you know, don't push yourself too far. For us, uh, there was so much we wanted to get done in such a little time period, and uh, it was an undertaking. It was fun, um, but just sustainability and don't get burnt out too quick on it um, for us was the big key to it. Awesome. What about you, Joker Mander? You you have one of those issues which like, ah, no, I didn't sign up for this, and how did you overcome it? <laughs> um, I think everything from, from the hoops that we had to jump through just to be able to open the doors all the way to opening night of this is actually happening. There, I, The whole process was an emotional roller coaster, to be quite honest, um, from, from the point of was this going to happen was always thrown on the table. So that turned into, is it really worth the time and effort that we're putting in at this point? I, I think halfway through the first night we opened, it really registered. This is art because <laughs> of running somebody else's haunt for so many years of, you know, we, we did set design, we did actor training, we did management um, for 
Joker did it for over 10 years at one haunt. Um, I did it for three or four years at one haunt. And so to do it that many years already together, it just seemed like our normal day at the start of just opening up the house, get it ready, get going. But it, like halfway through the night, it was like, this is really ours. Like it was a great feeling. And it, that alone made all the, the, the dumb stuff that we did and went through just that much more worth it, honestly. Awesome. Fantastic. Uh, and Jeff and Kevin, what about you guys? You guys run into the haunt Karen yet? And uh, what has you coming back again? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, there's always the Karens out there. Right. But um, I, I tell you what, I mean, much like the other, the other guys there, we, we go back. I mean, we're in our mid forties and um, I did my first, first little haunt uh, at 11 years old. So, uh, it's anything that can come up has come up and you know it over the years it we're, we're just new to 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 it being ours and we went we went through the much the same feelings last year where we just look at each other all giddy like yeah you know th- this is finally it you know we're not working for somebody else we're 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 doing it so um but no yeah there there's always the uh, uh the crazy uh, guests, there's always the crazy people that are actually working for you that you have to deal with. And there's, uh, it's the build though. It, it's the build when uh, under, I'm sorry, we got a fire truck going by here. I don't know if you can hear that. Um, so we, it's, it's the build that, that seems to always tend to drag me down a little bit when there's so many hoops and hurdles to jump through. Um, like Kevin, tell them about that last year. Yeah. So, Okay, so we've established we're uh, at the fairgrounds. Well, last year we did uh, our, our our city fair goes uh, two weeks in the middle of October, and they wanted us to do the last two weekends of October. So we were in a uh, eight thousand square foot dirt floor uh, horse barn, and uh, for the for two weeks it was a petting zoo. And uh, after the fair was over, it ended on a Sunday night, and uh, the barn was handed over to us. Monday evening and uh, our opening night was Friday night so (laughs) so we had from Monday about 7 p.m. until uh, until Thursday for our our final walkthrough with the fire marshal so we had a uh, a a pretty quick uh, I say build time but it was it was essentially a reassemble time we had everything uh, built out and stored in our in 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 our semi uh, from the summer, took it down before the fair, and then uh, and then so we had a three day reassemble time um, to get everything uh, put back up and uh, and and go in for uh, for our opening night. So, so, so wait, let's, let me get this right. Your your haunts built in a horse barn that was also a petting zoo, and you did and, and you didn't jump on the name Manure Manor. <laughs> Manure Manor? <laughs> Sometimes it, it felt like that. We didn't. We didn't have to buy any uh, froggy scents. It was uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, oh, there, hay and wet goat. Come and see us, yeah. hay and wet goat. Yeah. But I, I so did have to chuckle because I don't care if you've been in this industry for two months or or uh, forty years. If you think you've seen it all, you've just cursed yourself this season to see some <laughs> weird yeah. ass thing. 
is coming yeah. for you. Yeah. I, I, yep. You're you're correct. Yeah. So we're our, our, we're we're looking forward to this year because we're in a. Uh, it's a smaller it's a it's a smaller building on our fairgrounds, but it's a, a concrete floor, and uh, so it's going to open up a lot more uh, opportunities for different type of gags, and we have a a lot build lot longer build season. So we're we're really like I said, we pinch ourselves daily for this opportunity. Um, Manure Manor now featuring sliders, all sliders. Oh. <laughs> Not too late. <laughs> <laughs> Any uh, final questions from the hosts? I'll throw this one out. Um, as I mentioned near the beginning, you know, I get people every year asking me, you know, I want to open a haunted house. I think this is a great way to make money. I think this is a great way to uh, have a side business or, or something like that. I've got some land. I've got some buildings. What advice as a new haunt owner would you give somebody that's thinking about opening a haunted house should they do it should they not do it what is the one piece of advice you would give somebody interested in opening a haunted house for next year or five years down the road let's uh let's start with uh, amanda and joker don't freaking do it <laughs> uh no um I think honestly, if someone were to approach me and ask me, you know, inquire about opening their own, I'd ask them why. Why do you want to do this? Um, and if they answer money, I would tell them don't do it. Their heart's not in it. Uh, this is you have to love this business in order to want to do this full blown one hundred percent professional. Uh, and listen to anybody that wants to give you advice or at least hear it you don't have to take it but at least hear what they're telling you because most of these people have experienced something yeah or it's their hindsight of if they could do it over they would have changed this or that and i count ourselves very lucky uh because of the relationships we had already had with owners here local and then our partner, Kevin, also being an owner of one of the bigger haunts in, in the area, we got lucky with the advice and, and the, the support emotionally uh, from everybody because, it, it's it, again, it was a roller coaster of emotions from the get-go. And the payoff was fantastic for us. So I, I can't speak for anybody else, but we had a great first season. It was absolutely beyond what we could have imagined. Mm -hmm. And and uh, so for us personally, would we do it again? Hundred uh, percent, especially knowing with the the bumps that come along with it. Uh, you know, for a married couple doing it together, holy <laughs> crap, uh, that was exciting. Um, but yeah, we're both still alive. <laughs> <laughs> we did. We we had a good That's season. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the season went a whole lot better, but it just really question why they're they want to get into it if it is just for the money or if it's for the love of it the passion of it the entertainment aspect of because that, ultimately that's what every single one of us are doing is entertaining people very nice uh how about jeff and kevin what is the one piece of advice you'd give well uh 
yeah that that's that's the that's the biggest one right there is is if you're not uh if you if you can't think about this every day go to bed thinking about haunts get up thinking about haunts and your heart is not 100 percent in it and you wouldn't do it for for free it, it, you know under the worst circumstances that you can imagine then don't don't try but um i guess on the practical side i, I will say uh one thing that i that i have to keep reminding myself year after year after year is um the public doesn't know what's unfinished on your punch list <laughs> you know don't beat yourself up over that you're never going to fully complete your vision um Go for a quality over quantity. Do what you can as well as you possibly can do it. Don't overstretch. And, and you can't do everything yourself. I think, too, a lot of it is building building a good, a good solid team around you and teaching. And, and I mean, I, you know, I think people that get into this because of the passion for the haunt, uh, it, deep down, they're all artists. We're all artists in a way. It's uh, we're creating a vision and we're presenting live theater to people. So, but with that, a lot of times we have this controlling aspect. We've got you've got to be able to uh, to delegate that out and and teach others your show others your vision and let them uh, and let them run with it and put their own spin on it. Sometimes because a lot of times you hand something over to somebody and tell them how you think how you see it and then they hear what you're saying and they they interpret it just a little bit off and it comes out better than you would have ever ever thought so i think i think a lot of it is uh is just building that team and 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 uh and getting that next generation uh interested and and uh and just continually pushing yourself and uh, to to the next level. So I mean, I but the, just to echo the sentiments, if you're in it to make a paycheck, uh, quick and easy, then <laughs> you've made a huge mistake. Is it is a lot of uh, hard work and a, a a lot of sweat equity, um, and 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 just just all the different aspects. I mean, you're you're dealing with audio. You're dealing with. Um, construction and and then all the fun stuff with with city officials and and permitting and fire marshals and it's it's not easy money and uh you're never going to succeed unless you really uh are passionate about what what the the end game is as leonard pickles says so famously if you want to make a million dollars in the industry start out with two million so you know can't argue with that. Jordan, how about you? If you're you're 20 years old and you're just starting out on the haunted house career, what is the advice you would give to an aspiring 19-year-old or 40-year-old who wants to open a haunt? Well, I think the advice given is already really great. I think they touched a lot of the uh, bases that um, I have to agree with. I think having a drive for it is the main uh, foundation of everything. And uh, getting into it you just have to have the drive and the want to in order to succeed um but i think also going into it was i knew that it wasn't going to be something that was going to make a ton of money up front and that should never be a motivation for starting a haunted house i have to agree if you have a million you're going to need two million because there's so many expenses 
But if you put that aside and you have the love for it, you'll find a way to make it work. Um, for for me personally, I have to say uh, the one other piece of advice that I could give is to find your uniqueness and your niche in the industry. Um, it's a very saturated market, but that doesn't mean that you can't shine in your own way. Um, for us, we found our niche in um, the way that we have illusions throughout the haunted house. Um, we have a, we work with a Merlin award-winning illusionist, Terry Evanswood, to perform like floating lady up into the air and uh, some of the craziest stuff that other haunted houses just haven't done. And whether it's something simple from the way that you detail your sets to the way that you um, market your haunted attraction, just found your, find your niche. And uh, I think with the drive and the motivation that um, that'll come with time. But if you have that to start with, um, it's definitely an advantage. Um, our season this year was very, very well, um, you know, very well as far as in what we, you know, expected. We we aimed low and we had our number set of what we expected. But um, I think just having the reality of, uh, you know, not over over expecting or trying to overdo yourself is where um most people can find uh you know some great pleasure in and that's that's what worked for us just finding your niche in it and uh being motivated and driven very nice any final questions from the hosts well guys this is the time of the show we normally call the plugs this show is no different so this is the opportunity for you guys to uh plug your haunts on social media, websites, etc., where people can get more information. Let's start with Jeff and Kevin. How can people get more information about Forsyth's haunted attraction coming to Coming, Georgia this October? Uh, you can find us uh, our website at forsythshaunt.com. Uh, that's the letter for Scythe, S C Y F. S C Y T H E S haunt. Who named that thing? Yeah. Gracious. Um, so, <laughs> uh, and, and Facebook, uh, forsythesaunt.com. Um, and we're on Instagram as well. Um, same handle, forsythesaunt.com. So, so basically look for four sites and you will probably pop up. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> Amanda and Joker, how can people get more information about Malice Manor in southern Indiana? Oh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for Malice Manor. Or our website is thathauntedplace.com. Ooh, that's a great name. <laughs> Thank you. I like that. And Jordan, how can people get more information about Rigor Mortis in McMinnville, Tennessee? Uh, yeah, we're on all social media platforms, so you can find us on our Facebook page at Rigor Mortis Haunted Attractions, or you can find us on Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, um, as well as our website, which is uh, rigormortishauntedhouse.com, a little easier to find. Um, so yeah, you can find us through any social media platform. Nice. And I like all the uh, the names. It's not just terror on something or... You know, spooky this and scary that. <laughs> These are great names. So uh, I want to thank our guests once again, Jeff Manning, Kevin Hopkins from Forsyth's Haunted Attraction, Jordan Winton of Rigor Mortis Haunted Attraction, Amanda and Joker from Malice Manor. And, of course, we couldn't do it without our wonderful hosts, including Storm. 
All right, everybody, get out there. Go find those first-year haunts in your area. Check them out, and, and people watch, because the weirdos are going to come out to these. We've we've seen on this show, they've cursed it. They're not going to have weirdos, and wait till you see the person behind you in line. A lot of fun. Fun for your Friday night this October. Woo. Meet Hook Jim. All of the ghosts are weirdos. What's your point? Can't argue with that. <laughs> the Hauntstermentalist, Jerry Vane. How am I supposed to ask, ask a question when every time I'm ready to ask it, you guys already answered it. There is telepathy in this group. I swear to God, I didn't have to ask anything tonight. <laughs> Very nice. My name is Drew Badger. I just want to take a moment and offer best wishes to our friend, former sponsor of the show, Necrotic Creations owner, Robert Santos who had a massive stroke last Tuesday and is still in the intensive care unit in a hospital in the Sacramento region. Robert, we're thinking about you and Stacy. Get well soon, brother. This is the Roundtable of Terror here on The Big Scary Show. Symphony, wailing in the air on the big scary show.
looking for a comprehensive ticketing solution for your haunted attraction? HauntPay has the answer. We skip the features you don't need and focus on the ones you like, such as timed ticketing and repeat time slots, variable ticket types, bundle and combo tickets, social media discounts, and now featuring all-in-one options including managing your tickets online and at the door, as well as upselling and managing your merchandise and concessions with a comprehensive report on everything at the end of the night. Head on over to hauntpay.com and get started in 60 seconds for free. Rick Baker's creatures for The Exorcist, King Kong, and Star Wars are the height of motion picture magic and mystery. Now Baker has created the first new horror creature, the incredible Melting Man. Hero astronaut Stephen West returns from outer space. His body is melting. He must get human cells. He is the incredible melting man. Come prepared. Rated R. Under 17, not admitted without parent. Greetings, listeners, Greetings, listeners. And, welcome. and welcome. Watch out. Don't trip over that torso. It's time for Between the Corpses. Greetings listeners, Meat Hook Jimmy here, and on this episode, we're going to journey over to the country of Germany and find out what kind of funeral rites they have. Deciding on an urn or casket, signing a contract for grave plot maintenance, selecting funeral speeches, organizing the memorial service, sending out obituaries individually, or getting them printed in the newspaper. The bereaved had a lot to decide and take care of after a loved one's death. More than 900,000 people die in Germany every year. At the same time, cemeteries increasingly faced vast, unused spaces, as many graves, which are not property in Germany but are rented, free up after a certain period of years. Depending on the environment and the soil conditions, Local cemetery administrations decide on the length of a lease for a grave, which varies throughout Germany. They do want to allow enough time for a body to decompose properly. In some instances, families can renew leases indefinitely, of course, but in the case of single grave sites that are not renewable, after that quote-unquote rest period has expired, the grave site is cleared and can be reused. If it is not needed, the area is now usually turned into a lawn. Two major trends have been changing German funeral culture these past years, namely the increase in anonymous and semi-anonymous burials and a move toward a more individual touch, says Judda von Zitzwitz of the Dusseldorf-based German Funeral Culture Foundation. The ratio of cremation to casket burial is now 70 to 30 across Germany. Cemeteries are valued as national cultural treasures and public spaces of mourning, but services provided there urgently need to be modernized to better reflect mourners' individual wishes, otherwise they'll become a thing of the past. 
some model cemeteries in Germany, including Europe's largest cemetery in Hamburg, Ulsdorf, already cater to people's special funeral wishes and offer a wide array of burial variations. For the most part, however, German cemeteries, with their many rules and regulations, are inflexible and their services are old-fashioned and too expensive for mourners. Cemeteries are as important as operas and museums and should receive similar state funding in the long run. Through the cremation trend and an increase in burials that don't need a cemetery at all, like burials at sea or in forests, many German cemeteries now find themselves with large unused spaces on their hands. After all, a gravesite for an urn is considerably smaller than for a casket. Large, park-like communal gravesite areas, maintenance-free, which is unusual in a country where families typically rent a plot for 20 to 30 years and are responsible for its often pricey upkeep, are also increasingly popular in Germany. The loved one's individual gravesite may not be defined or marked there, but mourners definitely have a place of commemoration. Of course, some traditions endure, including the funeral service and reception afterward. Only the framework has changed. According to von Zeitzwitz, who argues that mourners increasingly opt for tailor-made farewell with traditional elements. Churches are not necessarily involved in funeral rites, while digitalization offers interesting options like digital mourning forums and QR codes on gravestones. Forget custom-made death notices and funeral invitations. Some funeral homes now offer to take care of these tasks via messaging apps. Hmm. Interesting. I'm really surprised to hear about the QR codes, but... Germany's, every country's different, and Germany's no exception. So, that's a look at German funeral rites. We'll catch you on the next one. Passion is what drives us. The passion to be the best. For over 10 years, that passion has taken us from eBay to becoming the driving force in the haunted house industry. And... We are just getting started. From flex props to nine foot giants. Great details, great looks, and great pricing is the foundation we are built on. Our heart beats Halloween and haunts. We are a creepy collection. Let us deliver our passion to your haunted attraction this season. CreepyCollection.com. Now that's creepy.
Once again, Frighteners, welcome to yet another edition of the Weister's Haunted Vista. And here we are on 4th of July weekend, and no fireworks. Well, being what it is and what's going on in the country, I think probably is a good idea. But you still have a consolation. It's the latest issue of The Big Scary Show, and of course, here we are on my segment. Do you know what you're full of? <clears throat> well then, we're going to just resume with my ongoing series here, The Horror of It All. You! Demented freak! And picking up where we left off last time, we're going to start with number 80 here, full of fur, fangs, and a big can of flea powder. Okay, now Hammer Films is going to be popping up on this countdown in all manner of shapes and varieties and forms. But I have mentioned in prior segments that aside from their Dracula series and the nod or two here from Frankenstein and The Mummy, most of their stuff left me pretty cold. But this one is the exception. 1961 Hammer took their shot at the Wolfman werewolf genre with a subtle and restrained take on the whole thing and some of one of the best makeup jobs I've ever seen in terms of this kind of a film. One of the first appearances of noted and late great actor Oliver Reed as the titular character, Curse of the Werewolf is truly one of the best of the werewolf genre. It sets a standard in terms of both restraint and storytelling and character development that very few werewolf films can do, and let alone this adds up also to Oliver Reed's talent and ability as an actor. Curse of the Werewolf is a much more adult-themed film. I wouldn't recommend it for children, not so much for the fear factor, just the fact they'll probably be bored stiff. And as of note, that remarkable makeup job that I keep bringing up, that was more done to keep Universal Studios from suing them into oblivion if they tried to nick their Wolfman trademark to makeup. Again, a very subtle and stylish film, unlike most of the werewolf genre running around nowadays. And a little piece of trivia regarding this film. Around this time, Aurora began to release their monster model kits. And when they did the Wolfman, surprisingly enough, the Wolfman kit resembled Lon Chaney Jr.'s take on the character, but the cover art done by James Bama was based upon Oliver Reed's look in Curse of the Werewolf, mixed in with a bit of Lon Chaney stuff. You go figure it out. I never understood that one either. And that brings us to number 79. Anyone who grew up watching horror and science fiction films back in the day knows that sound very well. Them, released in 1954, is probably the most successful and effective of all the big bug films of the 1950s, and there was armies of them. The Beginning of the End, The Deadly Mantis, Tarantula, Earth vs. the Spider, etc., etc., etc. But nothing quite matches the fear and atmosphere that this one brings about a colony of irradiated ants out in the California-Arizona desert beginning to muster their forces and about to march on humanity. The anti-nuclear mess is obvious in this one, but the atmosphere produced by this film, the seriousness it's taken to it, not to mention the ants are very effective, make this probably the most classic out of all the giant insect films. And of course, that eerie noise the ants make as they're marching across the desert terrain, once you hear that, you never quite forget it. And with odd noises and such, that brings us to number 78.
Merry Old England in 1957 gave us one of the better and most effective don't-mess-with-the-devil type films in Night of the Demon, which was a huge basis for Sam Raimi's 2013 creepfest Drag Me to Hell. Watch both films back-to-back and you'll see how much Raimi really did lift from the original. Essentially a cat and mouse game between a devil worshipper and an unbeliever who, as things grow more and more sinister, realizes he may have gotten more than he bargained for. It's very Hitchcockian and it's interesting to note that when you do get a good look at the demon at the top and the end of the film, and what a puss this brute has on it, jeez, gave me nightmares for weeks, it was actually originally intended never to show the demon in the original script, but to cash in on the monster craze, yada, yada, yada. I think you can figure out the rest. Again, very Hitchcockian, slow-moving potboiler, and a big influence for that 2013 Drag Me to Hell flick. In fact, I would call plagiarism, but never mind that. And that brings us to number 77. <laughs> Quoth the raven, nevermore. Okay, nothing quite that dire, but I'm referring to the 1965 film Die, Monster, Die, one of the last of Boris Karloff's filmed appearances and also featuring famed and faded star Nick Adams. This essentially is a nice little amalgamation of H.P. Lovecraft stories, primarily Color Out of Space and The Shadow Over Innsmouth, but... Karloff does a bang-up job. He was quite ill, and it shows in this film. His emphysema and other ailments catching up to him, and he's filmed most of his role in a wheelchair up until the last few moments when a stuntman took over. But I have to say, this thing is a real creep fest, mixing in Lovecraft style with a whole bunch of haunted house motifs and things of that nature, not to mention the alienated rich family who have been touched by the devil, blah, blah, blah. It's very well done and has quite a few science fiction elements to boot in it. And it still holds up very well even today. And as I said, Karloff is still the genius he always was, even in his dilapidated form, being quite ill, as I said. But he just plays that to the hilt with the role. This is a film you really have to spend a little bit of time with to appreciate all that's going on. And I don't say that lightly. I'm not the biggest fan of H.P. Lovecraft's work. I know there's huge underground followings for his stuff, but aside from a handful of his stories, and I've read just about everything the man has written, Aside from the big ones like Call of Cthulhu, Color Out of Space, Rats in the Walls, etc., etc., I'm not his biggest fan. A lot of it leaves me cold, but applied the way it is in this film, it's absolutely brilliant. That creepy little aria there brings us to number 76, a little cult film from 1972 called Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things, a spooky little Night of the Living Dead ripoff type romp which launched the career of Alan Ormsby among a few others and still holds a very warm place in my and many other undead hearts. Essentially the film centers around 
Orsby's acting troupe and their efforts to exhume a corpse for a prop and things like that for some sort of play, which turns out to be a practical joke until dear little Alan brings out a book of black magic and, as the title says, things don't go quite according to plan. For those of who are fans of Night of the Living Dead and the film was already getting a huge cult status by that point already, this is obviously a big, cheap knockoff, but it's a lot of fun. The zombie makeups are quite effective, and it has a nice, chilling, early 1970s vibe to it. I highly recommend this one. I wouldn't watch it around your uh, children or anything like that, ha ha ha, but the undead are more vampires than they are Romero's ghouls, but still, that doesn't stop them from munching on most of the cat, if not all of the cast, mind you. Indeed, munchies for the discriminating palate, hearty har. This is, as I said, it has that nice 1970s schlocky feel to it, but it'll definitely pack a wallop if it's the first time seeing it. Enjoy, and on to number 75. think we're going to do this countdown with at least a couple of Godzilla films now, did you? In 2001, Toho unleashed Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidorah, giant monsters all-out attack, and among the fan base it was simply known as GMK, and this is one of the more intelligent and sophisticated films that came out of the Millennium series, which ran from 1999 to 2004. Godzilla is set up as the embodiment of the vengeful spirits of the Japanese dead from World War II, which have come back to make the youth pay for ignoring their sacrifice. As for the other monsters featured in the film, they are set up as guardian monsters to deal with the threat of Godzilla himself. This includes Mothra, King Ghidorah, and a surprise fan-favorite Baragon. The actual original script was also going to feature Angilas and Varan, some big cult fan favorites, but the studio techs at Toho decided Mothra and King Ghidorah would give the film more selling power, and thus we have the film that we do today, which is nothing to sneeze at. This is actually one of the most sophisticated Godzilla films, and also one of the more intelligent, not to mention the more creepy. Godzilla's no-pupils-white-eyed look gives him a very unsettling appearance, and the uses of both Mothra and Kid Ghidorah, and these characters have been used to death in the cycle of these films, actually works very nicely here. The special effects are top-notch, don't forget. The director of this film was also the director of the much-beloved and much-heralded, critically, Gamera series of the 1990s, and he adds his own special touches to Godzilla himself. And it works like a charm. It's too bad they didn't give him more time. He actually requested two years to do the film, but Toho only gave him one. So, we got what we got, and as it stands, it's pretty darn good as it is. And that brings us to number 74, which brings us from Tokyo to New York City. Nineteen fifty-eight saw the release of *The Colossus of New York*, essentially a reworking of the Frankenstein legend in a more modern context. Well, for nineteen fifty-eight, anyway, and it is pretty interesting because there's a bit of morality going on there, as the brain of an injured individual is put into the 
body of this huge robotic creature which basically has death rays in the eyeballs why do these scientists always give their monsters abilities to kill people and this thing goes on the rampage what keeps the scientist semi-docile and ends up being his undoing is the presence and love of his son as they communicate through backyard secret meetings and when he goes on his final rampage his son actually does him in but that's a story for another color Basically, as I said, this is Frankenstein redone in a more science fiction based theater, but it has one of the most interesting soundtracks available for a science fiction film like this, and it's all piano music. There's no orchestra, anything else, just a single lone piano throughout the entire film. The special effects are quite good, and the monster costume is very effective. Take a look at it yourself. It has a bit of a disturbing edge to it, and it also makes you think. Frankenstein can be done in a modern context, and very well too if it's handled by the right people. And speaking of Frankenstein, here's number 73. Nineteen forty four's House of Frankenstein can be considered one of the first of Universal's monster rally movies, which they were very, very good at, may I add. You could make an argument that the prior years of Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman started this trend, but this is really where Universal pulled out all the stops. Dracula, Frankenstein's monster, the Wolfman, a mad doctor and a hunchback assistant, all in a film that was originally titled The Devil's Brood. It's an interesting mishmash. It's actually two different stories, one involving Dracula, the other involving Frankenstein's monster and the Wolfman, the leftover from the prior film. Boris Karloff plays Dr. Gustav Niemann, kind of an acolyte of Dr. Frankenstein himself, hell-bent on revenge on all the people who sent him to jail for his illegal, illicit experiments a la Frankenstein. And as he travels the countryside looking for ways to exact his revenge, he runs across Dracula, the monster, and the Wolfman. Now, it's an interesting point worth mentioning here. This is where John Carradine makes his debut as the Count, and he's okay. I mean, he's a little slicker, a little more suave, and he has kind of a British style to Dracula, but it's missing Bela Lugosi, who was not involved in the film because A, the company was not particularly fond of his performance in Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman as the Monster. That's really funny, considering they destroyed all of Lugosi's performance by removing all of his dialogue, and two, they thought the guy was dead. Lon Chaney Jr. does his usual turn as Larry Talbot, a.k.a. the Wolfman, and Glenn Strange makes his debut here as the Frankenstein monster, probably the only guy who ever came close to Boris Karloff's interpretation. Chaney and Lugosi couldn't do it, but Strange being huge, this guy was over six foot two, bulky, and just coached by Karloff during the course of this film, he really, really hits the mark with this. It's a fun, stupid monster bash. It could effectively concludes the Dracula, Frankenstein and Wolfman movies, at least it was supposed to, until they found out they made even more money from it. Bah! Humbug! Get out of here! Which led to the following year's House of Dracula, but that's a horse of another color. In the meantime, let's move onward. And 
At number 72, I place George A. Romero's 1985 grand opus, Day of the Dead. The least popular of his original trilogy, but probably one of the most influential, as this was created during the Reagan years, when it was all bye-bye-bye and all that sort of thing, and people were trusting the government and the military a lot, lot less. This film emphasizes those points among the gore and splatter. I mean, this thing has bucketfuls of blood. Tom Savini actually won an Oscar for Best Visual Effects for this thing. And believe me, if you watch the film, you'll understand why. The original concept for the film, Romero had something really grand designed. Go check out the original script online if you get a chance. It's really ambitious, but unfortunately, due to the level of violence and gore, nobody would give him the financial backup he needed, so the film became what we all know and love somewhat. As he put it, there's people who only celebrate the original Night of the Living Dead, and there's people who party and have a hoopla with Dawn of the Dead, the most popular of the trilogy, and then there's the real trolls who like Day of the Dead. I've always had mixed feelings towards this one. It is influential, and believe me, The Walking Dead borrowed a lot from this thing. Go back and watch it, and then watch a couple episodes of that. But it is significant, and I don't think the zombie phenomenon would have happened without it. But... That's up to you to decide. I still think it's influential. And with that in mind, we go from one apocalyptic scenario to another. From zombies to vampires. And Vincent Price living in Italy for a year to film this thing. Nineteen sixty-four is the last man on earth, probably the most faithful adaptation of Richard Matheson's I Am Legend novel. Sees Vincent Price playing Robert Neville in a world overrun by plague which produces vampires, which aren't too bright. But that's besides the point. These guys are not exactly what I would call a threat if you watch a film really close, and they make the dumbest sounds when they get smacked. But regardless, in terms of the pacing, the film is slow and lethargic, kind of like Matheson's book, and it really picks up on all the major points and does have the same similar conclusion as the book. Again, the most faithful adaption. Creepy, but like I said, by today's standards, not the best. Also, George Romero mentioned that this was very influential on his original vision for Night of the Living Dead, so I have to give it kudos on that. Adding to that, take a note of the appearance of the vampires themselves, highly influential on Romero's design of his ghouls for Night of the Living Dead, so make of it what you will. And with that, that wraps up this section of the horror of it all. I'll pick up the ball again in two weeks, so in the meantime, if you want to get a hold of me, drop me a line at erweister at woh.rr.com. You can't drop me a line on Facebook. Mine got hacked and deleted, so and they won't let me back in, at least for now. So I'll let you know when they let me back in, but I'm not going to rush it. At the same time, take a look over at our blogspot page, the Weister's Halloween Hot Journal, full of news and reviews you can use and abuse. So, until next time, as ever, take care, be safe, enjoy the July 4th holiday, but be careful out there. And always remember to send Goody's Cradle and brush your fangs, comb your face, drink your milk before it clots, bite mama goodnight, and always remember that I hid the body because there were no fireworks this year. Best to keep your mouth shut if you don't want bugs in your teeth. Again, enjoy the holiday, everyone stay safe, and we'll see everybody again in two weeks. Take care, until then.
haunted house owners, actors, and enthusiasts. Join the new Ohio Haunters Association. We are working with haunters across the state, from home to pro, to strengthen the Ohio haunt community. Open to all owners, actors, makeup artists, prop builders, designers, and Halloween paranormal enthusiasts. The Ohio Haunters Association, where haunting is the heart of it all. Look for us on Facebook. Sinister Symphonies UK. The Dollhouse. On the Big Scary Show. into the swamp where we hid the body. We would like to thank the following sponsors. Screamline Studios. Dark Imaginings. Von Caron Productions. Haunt Pay. Ticket Leap. And Creepy Collection. We would also like to thank 
Virgil Franklin, master of the Ether Muse, as well as the Fordga hosts, including Storm, Rants and More, HauntMinute.com, The Unknown Scare Actor, Actor Trainer and Traveling Actor Troop. For more information, check out MaulMonsters.com, that's M-A-U-L Monsters.com. Drew Badger, Actor Trainer and Consultant. Find out more at rabidbadger.org. And Jerry Vane, the Hauntstrumentalist, for all your heavy metal and haunt needs. JerryVane.com. And finally, you, the listener. Without you, we are nothing. The Big Scary Show is copyright Big Scary Show LLC, and no rebroadcast of this show may be made without express permission of the owners. All music used on The Big Scary Show is used with expressed permission of the artists themselves.